Hi everyone, I'm Brian Clancy, President of Clancy Woodworking and Board Vice President of the Cabinet Makers Association. And I'd like to welcome you to Episode 3 of Pro Cabinet Maker, a monthly podcast produced by the CMA. Each month we chat with some outstanding industry professionals about the issues and challenges impacting their businesses, as well as success stories to inspire. My guest today is Kevin McNulty, a personal development coach and our opening keynote speaker at this year's CMA National Conference in Nashville. He's the author of The Gap Between Two Worlds, Turning Difficult Life Transitions into Personal Growth Experiences, and proudly served 20 years in the U.S. Air Force. Much of his career has been in the field of human relations, helping commanders, managers, and frontline employees deal with people issues. He's a gifted storyteller and is in the business of facilitating artful and meaningful conversations. I'm really looking forward to this discussion, so welcome to the podcast, Kevin. I just wanted to say, Kevin, it's a pleasure to meet you. I did listen to your webinar with Amanda from the Cabinet Maker Association. And it was excellent. Um, Thank you, Brian. I see that part of your webinar was like turning difficult life transitions into personal growth experiences. And I'm just wondering how you got to that point in your life where you, this was, you know, something that you wanted to help other people with. Wow. I appreciate it. You know, my book called The Gap Between Two Worlds really in some ways dropped into my lap, but not in a great way. I grew up, first of all, uh, my entire life, you know, young life and the uh, first part of my adult life was all about change and transition because, first of all, I was an army brat. So I moved around the world for 19 years abroad. I lived abroad several times all around the United States. And, you know, essentially a good experience, but just the constant change every two, three years, you were moving to a different place. I recall. Actually, I think it was about my junior year. I think I moved to four different high schools, four different times. Two of the high schools were the same, but I moved away. Two other high schools came back to the last one. And so needless to say, change and transition just became, it's in my blood, if you will. So then I spent 20 years in the Air Force. Well, while I was in the Air Force, I was fortunate enough for the largest part of my career to be in human relations education. I did a lot of speaking and training coaching, advising commanders on people problems, on workplace dynamics, leadership, all these other sorts of things. And then towards the latter part of that career, I was involved with the Covey Leadership Center. Uh, Stephen Covey, if you're familiar with him and his work, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, Principal Center Leadership, and others. And the Air Force was integrating this, some of his models into the Air Force leadership programs, as well as into the quality programs because of the work that I did, I was sort of a natural fit. I got involved with it and helped my command, if you will, integrate Stephen Covey's work into the Air Force. So I immersed myself into personal development and leadership and some of these other sorts of things. So then in the year 2000, I was stationed at Travis Air Force Base, California. I retired my career with my wife, who's also an Air Force veteran, and our two very young daughters, one and three. We retired that career moved to the Nashville area where I'm at now and decided we were both going to go to work for ourselves. So I was going to create a consulting business and she was going to create a piano instruction business. Music teaching is is what she does now. 
and I'd say about a year into that process, I started to run out of money. You know, I mean, I had a small pension from the Air Force, but I was an enlisted guy, so it wasn't enough to make, you know, to kind of make it out on your own. We'd saved up enough. We downsized our bills and all these other sorts of things. We moved here and about, I'd say actually about eight months into the, into the transition, I was building my practice and nothing was really happening. Somehow, some way, I thought I could build a business in a year. Uh, again, you have to remember, I did 19 years as a military brat, 20 years in the Air Force. I knew nothing about business. Although I'd done my research and tried to get a mentor and other sorts of things, but it, it just wasn't going anywhere. Well, we were running out of money. So now I'm dealing with this dilemma about where am I going to go now? I had one hand, I like to say, on monster.com looking for a job. And on the other hand, I was passionate, uh, Brian, about building this business. It was it was really, my thinking was, this was my chance to be free, to control my own destiny, to do the work that I really loved and all that sort of thing. And I was also intimidated with corporate America because I'd never, I'd never lived in the private sector, quite frankly. So then came up around 12 months. Uh, my concern turned to frustration, to fear, to downright anxiety and depression. And I went into a pretty deep, dark depression. I mean, it was uh, one of those that you're, you're on your back, you can't move, started having physical problems, uh, started seeing a therapist, and it was just really ugly. I mean, just really a sad state. My wife decided to start studying a little bit about depression and anxiety. And one of the things that she learned was that one good thing that you can do is just keep moving. She pushed me out of the house every day. She said, Kevin, I want you to go to Starbucks and start just writing down, take a laptop and just start writing down all the things that are in your head, how you're feeling and all these other sorts of things. So I started doing that. I went for about two months and over that period of time, I started to feel a little bit better, but I had been writing prolifically. I came home one day, I had printed it out across the street at a print shop, brought it home to her. I said, Jane, you know, I'm feeling better. I've got you to thank. And, uh, and I just, uh, I just thought, let's just read what I've been writing about. She read it that evening. The next morning she said, Kevin, you've been talking about writing a book for years and this is it right here. And we discussed that this was all about change and transition. And so I kept writing and finally ended up with the book. Now I'd been studying, you know, as I said, personal development for many, many years, much before I even started working with Covey and human relations education. I'd started really immersed myself into it probably in the early eighties when, when Tony Robbins first came out with his work. And so by that time, by time I had transitioned from the Air Force, you know, I was almost an expert in personal development. So here's what happened, Brian. I'm spilling my guts into my laptop, but what I did not realize I was doing is I was literally coaching myself at the same time. I was literally offering myself advice whether I really got there or not. So I ended up publishing the book. Uh, it took me several more years before that. I published it in 2012, and that's what I ended up with is a book on change, transition, and how you can grow inside of the change and transition. That was a long answer, but I hope that uh, answered your question. Wow, what an amazing turnaround, Kevin. You practically had me in tears just talking about being in, in such a place that he, you know, in such a dark place, really, you know, where everything you feel is unhappy of, where you're immobilized like that. Uh, that's right. And I appreciate your honesty with that. I think that's what really resonates with me 
when you talked about that mm-hmm. and just how honest you were about where you got to, you know. You know, it's a if if I may say, it's kind of a God thing for me, Brian. In that, you know, if you want to call it my secret sauce that I, I didn't uh, I didn't ask for, it is my ability to empathize because I've done this, I've been through it, I've felt the worst of the worst when it comes to change and transition, and and what what I've learned, of course. And by the way, a few years after that, I started coaching a, a very um, distinguished chairman and CEO of, of a large engineering firm. He read my book and had sent me an email a couple of days after that and said, listen, can I use this and create a PowerPoint presentation for the board of directors to talk about change and transition in our world, you see? And so he was talking about from a business and a corporate standpoint. And when he sent me the slides back, I was like, the principles are the same. Personal, business, professional, doesn't matter. The principles are all the same. I don't think there's one person that will hear this podcast that has never been in some transitional area of their life, including myself, you know, where I actually went from a very secure job with a family business where, you know, I was pretty well set up for life if I had decided to stay, but my heart was not in it. And I, I like you, it's very uncanny that you started your business in 2000, the same year I started mine. That was my transition year too, in tune. Mm-hmm my own business and I, I left a very secure, comfortable position to pursue what I love doing. I was so passionate about woodworking mm. and I branched off on my own thinking that my passion would bring everything to me, you know? Yes. <laughs> Little did I know the hell that I was about to put myself <laughs> through, you know? So perfectly said. <laughs> yeah. I think if I, if I had a mentor or someone that had been there before, it would have made, you know, transition so easy. And, you know, there's still transitions going on in my life with, you know, kids, etc. But business wise, I think every time I get a new customer, I have to be ready for a transition, you know? Fair enough. I'm just wondering, like for young guys out there or young gals that are thinking about pursuing their their lifelong dream of getting into woodworking or pursuing furniture making or cabinetry, what advice would you give them? Well, it's really a great question. And I'm glad that you asked about young people because one of my newer missions in life is in my current state is doing a slight pivot, if you will, not completely, but really trying to mentor younger professionals and these sorts of things because and I will say this to you, Brian, and anybody who's listening to this who has who who has been doing what they've been doing for a while, and this is a bit of a, a, a rabbit hole I'm going to take you down, and that is that there is this idea that when you get to a certain age, you, you've heard of a cattail, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a plant that usually grows near water, and it comes up, and it's really bushy at the top. Oh, yes, yes. Yes, there's probably a better name for it, maybe even a more scientific name for it. But a cattail, it when it matures, it matures and it starts essentially exploding. When it explodes in the way that it does, the wind comes along and blows the seeds all over, and that's how it reproduces. So I suggest to people like me and you and others who have a certain, because you talked about a mentor, and that's one of the big keys, by the way. You know, I always want to encourage people like you and me to become cattails. I don't mean at the end of your life. I'm talking about when you're ready to spread your seed 
and help other younger professionals come up, you see. Yeah. And I just think it's a beautiful thing for us all to do. I even say this to people who are beginning to slow down or maybe even retire. There's nothing more, I think, contributory that you can do to our society and our communities than becoming a cattail. Let your seeds explode and whoever wants to let you mentor them, jump in. I have more thoughts about that, but that's just a little uh, uh, sidebar, if you will. So the first advice, and I, I do have some tools that I'm happy to offer here, you know, before we finish, if you'd like, and I'll just kind of give you a preview of it because I'll talk about this at the convention. You know, first of all, to your point, it was really a, a great point, and that is that passion is not enough. Passion is something that can motivate you. It can put you on the run. It can keep you focused in some ways. You know, you, you should just look at passion as energy. And energy is good, but it has to be directed energy. You see what I'm saying? Just energy in and of itself, and you already know this, won't work. And so it's very important for especially younger people or people making a transition into what you and I are doing, working for ourselves, to know that passion is good. I believe in passion. I think passion is very important, but it is simply not enough. It's not going to get you there. The second thing that I always like to say using this analogy or using this phrase really that show business is two words there's the craft what you do and then there's the business side of it and i used to play tennis with a great great guy here in nashville tennessee he used to be really the uh he was the president of uh, capital records here in in nashville you know god rest his soul we would play tennis and, and when i got to know him I at some point came to him and uh, was just asking for advice because this was still early in my career in the early 2000s. And I just started talking to him at the end of matches. He would sit around because he had this terrible uh, disability. Well, he, he didn't lend any of that. You know, I mean, he literally walked around with bent knees. It was, it was very immediate when you saw him. He, th he thought, yeah, he's got a serious disability. But this dude rose to the top. I mean, worked with some of the biggest players in the world. Wow. But he was the one that shared this idea about show business. He said, Kevin, I can't, I can't tell you the number of great artists that could have been superstars, but they had no concept of business or marketing or you know developing that aspect of their career. You can think of people like Taylor Swift, but one of the things if you ask people that know her, they say, above all, she's a great businesswoman. And she got it from her father. The same thing with Madonna. There's a whole host of other people. So I say to young people, you know, the craft, to be great at your craft, to be passionate, it's all good. It is important. It's foundational. It's fundamental, I mean. But now what about the business side of it, the practical things that you have to do? And now we get to that point that you're talking about, Brian. Boy, if I would have done it over like you, I would have started off with a mentor. I did have a mentor, but I wasn't. I would say that I... I didn't even know enough of what I didn't know to find the right mentor Right, that would have gotten me there. So, yeah. so I'll start with that for uh, advice to young people. That reminds me, Kevin, I wish I had known enough to get involved with the Capital Makers Association 20-something years ago. When I went to a trade show in Hartford, I met a couple of guys. And they were just starting out. This was like 25 years ago, and I remember thinking, oh, how could, how could they possibly help me? I, mm -hmm. I'm so passionate about this. I'm just going to, you know, it's going to be fine. I wish I had a, 
just looked into that a little further because when I finally did join, maybe 12 or 13 years ago, yeah. it just it changed everything. You know, I have to quickly tell you this, this quick story that later in life, when I started just realizing how much work I really needed, even in my craft as a coach, I mean, frankly, I was coaching even in the Air Force before we even called it coaching, but coaching had began to really evolve. And there was just, there's just a lot that I still needed to know, like even how to work with private sector people to work with civilians, you know, in the military, we just barked orders and you better do it, you know, or something's going to go down, you know. And that's not the way that it works. I mean, we just, it's straight talk. And I mean, I'm a straight talker, but I had to learn how to manage some of that. But let me tell you this story real quick, because it's so central to what you're saying and what we're talking about here in terms of mentors. And by the way, this is not strictly for young people. So I was probably, I was approaching 50 when I found this mentor. I don't remember. It was, I think it was around 2008. So I'll yeah. put it like this now. You may not know this man's name. His name is Marshall Goldsmith. He's really, uh, if you will, the gold standard for a leadership coach. He's in a lot of circles and HR circles and organizational psychology and all these other sorts in coaching and leadership. He's a very, very well-known, written probably 20 books. So, and, and I say all this because it's very important that I didn't know who he was in 2008. I went to a convention up in New York. And he was speaking and everybody was talking about Marshall Goldsmith, who was our a lunchtime keynote. And I remember going, who in the heck is Marshall Goldsmith? I mean, you know, he, he must be close to God. I mean, the way people are talking. And so as it came closer to lunchtime, I was so psyched up to hear from him that I went early to the general sessions. I sat down close by so that I could see him face to face. So they introduced him. He comes out. He looks like his hairdo is like mine. And he came out in a, a golf shirt and a pair of khakis and I think tennis shoes. You know, that's Marshall Goldsmith. I mean, Mr. You know, the, you know, I mean, he, he coaches people like Alan Mulally, uh, you know, and all the, the CEOs of CEOs around the world, you yes. know, Southwest, the whole package. And I was just surprised. I guess I thought he was going to come out in a coat and tie and, you know, $2,000 suit or whatever. No. And then he came out, he said, Hey, how's everybody doing? And everybody's like, Oh, you know, you could just see they were like, Oh, Marshall Goldsmith. You know, I was like, man, this dude must be something. So I can't wait to hear from him, this philosopher, this guru, you know? And so he started off with this question. He said, Hey, I want to ask you a question. You know, how can you become a better leader? And how do you know how to become a better leader? And so all of the people in the audience were coaches and consultants and speakers. I mean, just in high level people, and they were throwing out all these fancy answers about what it is, to how you become a better leader. And he was being pleasant and kind. Yeah, okay, that's a good idea. Okay, okay, it was not exactly what I'm thinking, but okay. And nobody really rolled out with the answer. He said, no, let me tell you exactly how. He said, go ask your employees. And I almost fell out of my chair. I went, what? <laughs> that's it. And you know, it's the truth. If you want to know how to be a better leader, ask your employees. They will tell you. But the real part of the story is that afterwards, I went to get a book. I was really psyched up about this guy. I got, it was two people away. They ran out of books. And I was like, oh man, but I still want to meet them. And I had thought about this and wrote, and they said, well, listen, um, just leave us a card and 20 bucks and we'll mail the book to you. And this was, uh, he had just come out with uh, what got you here won't get you there. So I gave him a card. 
And on the back of my card, I said, uh, Dear Dr. Goldsmith, would you consider being a mentor? I handed him the card and uh, took a picture with him and went away. I think a couple of months went by, Brian, and I completely forgotten about the book, anything else. And then I got this package in the mail. I literally didn't know what it was. I opened it up and it was a book. I said, oh, it's his book. And I opened it up. I've actually got it right there. I opened it up. And on the first page, on the first page, I could show it to you. It said, Kevin, I'd be delighted to mentor you. Oh, wow. Can you believe that? Yeah. I mean, what would you say is the moral to that story? Ask. Ask, right. Yeah. People want to help. Right. And I just was bold enough to just ask the question. Yeah. And so I say this about whether it's cabinet making or anything else that to our point that we're talking about here, if you want a good mentor, go seek a good mentor and simply ask. That's incredible. I love that story. I remember the first regional event I went to for the Cabinet Makers Association after I joined. It was in New Jersey, which was about a 40-minute drive for me from mm -hmm. here. And I wasn't sure what to expect. I had come from a cabinet shop background, Kevin, where to say it was dysfunctional, <laughs> you know, the guys in there, it was just a very, uh, just a dysfunctional place, you know, and I got out of there quickly. I went to another shop where everything was guarded, including techniques of how to do things, very guarded. So I was getting disillusioned quick with this dream that I had. So then I went to this, the CMA and, you know, the collaboration that we have among one another. I was blown away when the guy presenting, his name was Sean, started to talk about his pricing seminar and started to open up about how he prices jobs. And like, I had no, these were all the questions that I had mm. that nobody would answer. After I came away from that, I came home and I talked to my wife and I said, this is it. Amazing. This is <laughs> This is what I've been looking for. I'm gonna I'm gonna continue joining with these guys and, and I mean it's it's been that much longer. And to your point, I always thought being a cabinet maker was about making cabinets. <laughs> I had no idea about the business of making cabinets. Interesting. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that's amazing to hear that. The friends I have made there incredible. I mean, I talk to the some of these guys every day. I you know, and this has been going on for years. So I, I really feel like a real kinship, a friendship with them. They're, they're mentors and they're friends and pick up the phone at any point. I mean, that's what the wonderful thing about having these relationships now. I think when you come to the convention and you start to open up your experience with that, I think it's just going to start us all thinking again about how mm -hmm. very fortunate we are to be in this organization. The Cabinet Makers Association helps shops grow, and our shared benefits include feedback and advice from peers, news about industry innovation and events, participation in leadership teams, and early awareness of both design and equipment trends. We also work together to acknowledge and promote the professional accomplishments of our fellow members and participate in programs and publications designed exclusively for small shop owners. The CMA will reach a major milestone this coming March when we celebrate two and a half decades of service to the industry. The 25th Anniversary National Conference takes place March 8th through the 10th at the Renaissance Hotel in downtown Nashville. The agenda is rich with enticing speakers, local plant tours, 
and plenty of networking opportunities. Over the past quarter of a century, the CMA has grown to include hundreds of small to medium-sized cabinet, millwork, and furniture shops across the U.S. and Canada. When woodshops come together as a group, each one becomes stronger. Learn more at cabinetmakers.org. You know, you just bring up such a great point in that, first of all, that's what associations should be for. You know, may I say, Brian, to you and Amanda, and I don't know uh, all the different players in the Cabinet Association, but, uh, you know, I interact with associations a fair amount and, and these sorts of things. And you, you can, from the outside looking in, particularly in the work that I am in, you know, you oh, I always pay attention to the dynamics. That's the work I do. And it was fairly immediate that I started noticing that the cabinet, you know, you know, listen, I know I don't know the inside ball of all of this. So there's always problems that somebody from the outside doesn't know about looking in. But it became very apparent that it's a very strong organization. It's run well. And the thing that really keyed me in on what's going on with you all and what you just described, which is so important, is even on your website, one of your, it's a mantra, I guess, and I've got it right in front of my eyes here, so I'm going to read it to you. It blew me away, and I say that in, uh, earnestly when I read it. It says, we believe collaboration, not competition, is the best way to improve our own individual companies as well as the industry as a whole. I mean, think about that statement. It's part of the toolkit that I recommend for people. It's, it's at the top of what ought to be happening, and that is collaboration. You see, this is the way you do it, and you just so finely expressed it. So it's, it's a very impressive organization from the outside looking in, and I, I just appreciate the, the mindset of the collective CMA. Yeah, I just kind of feel the same way. I just kind of fell into this unbelievable opportunity, you know, to, to be able to talk to guys the same way. And most of our guys, Kevin, we're small shops, generally one, two, up to, well, some of them have like 20, 30 guys, but generally we're very, the majority are smaller shops. We're stuck in the shop day to day. We don't really interact with many people except yeah. customers here and there, vendors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know the feeling. So for you to come to our convention and open everything up for us and just allow us to interact with one another, it really invigorates everyone so we get back to basics, really, you know, why we're yeah. in the, you know, to begin with. You know, I sometimes I'm sitting here listening to you, Brian, and I think, you know, I should be interviewing you. I mean, you're just kind of hitting all the key points here about the topic to which I will speak more about, and that is, you know, how you future-proof your business, how you future-proof, you know, I like to say future-proof your mindset. And if I may, you know, I'd like to just throw out a couple of points that I will hit more on at the convention to kind of maybe even give a little preview here of some of the things that I'll talk about. And it's just the perfect segue. You provided such a perfect segue in talking about mentoring and talking about collaboration to what I will be speaking about. The whole concept of passion and inspiration, all of those things are important. So what I like to say is, first of all, I say this is a five-step process, but it's, it's a little bit more fluid than that as well. But to put it in form of five steps might just be helpful to some, especially I would say cabinet makers who are, I'm sure you follow a step-by-step -step process, you know. Very methodical. Yes, very methodical. I would just throw some wood together and start, you know, and hope that it, you know, comes out, you know, not too square. <laughs> square. Yeah, there you go. 
So first of all, I say, you know, if you want to call it step number one is to build a transition toolkit. And that could consist of, let's say, three things. Okay, just remember the three M's. There's me, i.e. The, the person, there's the mentor, and then there's the mastermind. Now, can you believe that you already addressed a couple of these, believe it or not, the mentor and the mastermind? So the me is about your mindset, you know, ensuring that, you know, it, it's, it's not a matter of ensuring, it's attending to, it's improving, it's paying attention to, it's becoming self-aware of, you know, what is your mindset? Think about your mindset before, even when you went into business, how the mindset shifted, how you're like, oh, wow, that's not what I was expecting or this, that, and the other, and I ran into the same thing. And so when we talk about mindset, we're talking about what I refer to as your PEPA. Your PEPA is your perceptions, your expectations, your problem solution orientation, meaning do you pay more attention to the problem than the solution? Is that a balanced thing? Because you know, if you yeah. run into a problem-oriented person, you can immediately spot them because they're always complaining. And when you're complaining, it's always about the problem. And then you have a solutions-oriented mindset, which is good too, but there are sometimes people that are too quick to go to the solution. So when I talk about your mindset in terms of your problem-solution orientation, there should always be a balance, right? You think enough about the problem so that you can get to the proper solution. So there's that, and then the final one is your attitude. So these are the things, and then this is your, your values, your frame of mind, these sorts of things. This is what makes up your mindset. You go into this whole process in the me element with the proper mindset, it is not the end-all be-all, but it certainly sets you up to go down the right way, including, by the way, your passion, you know, being passionate, but keeping it in check. You see, all of this is your mindset. So that's that. And so you have to assess all of this. The other part of me, by the way, when you're, again, making this just transition into working on your own or whatever the case might be, is assessing your own uh, perspective, your understanding, your opinion about what you are doing. So it's a bit of the mindset, but it's really more about recognizing that you bring something to the table here. And so you have to assess what that is. So now the next M is the mentor. Your mentor is your guide. You so perfectly stated that. And I, I won't talk a lot about it, but what I most like to talk about is finding the right mentor, you see. Like, I'll be honest with you, Brian, if I were looking for a mentor, I'd look for somebody like you. I would f for this reason, because just listening to your, uh, your spirit, you seem like a kind person. Your temperament is what works for me. You, you listen. And so these are what I would look for a mentor. And it, that's, that's just me though. So the point is, is that not just finding a mentor, but the right mentor, somebody with the right skills and with the right temperament that you can interact with. So that's the second M. The third M is your mastermind. Now, in this case, we could consider the CMA a mastermind group, but I'm gonna talk about a different type of mastermind group. I'm talking about your own exclusive mastermind group. And a mastermind group is a simple concept in that you find two or three or four people that you interact with regularly, like once a month. And there's a simple process that you can use. So let's say you and I are in a mastermind group. One of the ways it would work is we would show up to this meeting, whether it's in person or virtual, and I would have 10 or 15 minutes in front of the group. And if you were facilitating the mastermind, you say, okay, Kevin, you're in the hot seat. What do you need help with? How can we support you? 
And I say, well, I just got a new employee. It's, I'm struggling with it, this, that, and the other. And now I have this board of advisors, this mastermind group who can help me think this through. You see, it's so powerful. But you have to follow a simple structure to get it right. Because masterminding is the idea of two or more people gathering together and creating a supermind. You see, as we talk, we inspire each other to think at a higher level. And that's a different concept then. So those are the three M's. And by the way, the other thing again is that on the CMA, that you have that CMA collaborate. I just went wow when I saw that. It is a form of a mastermind, but I'd say a looser form because it, it's, it doesn't follow the structure that I'm talking about. So, okay. So then step two, and I'm going to roll through this because I, you know, I know that we don't have all day. One, to create a vision. And what that means is understand your future state. Now, this is a key to change and transition. You know, you described it. I described it. We started in this transition. Suddenly we went, whoa, uh, I thought it was going that way. Now I'm not sure. Where am I going? And that's what the, the when I say create the, the vision or the future state, you're simply asking the question and try to get clear, where exactly am I going? And so I'll tell more about that, but I'm going to leave it at that. Step three then becomes get oriented with your current state. In other words, you're, you're saying, where am I going? But from where am I starting? Where am I at right now? What am I missing? What skills do I need? Do I need a mentor? Do I need this? Do I understand this? Do I really have the knowledge, skills, and ability? Even that assessment of, man, I'm a really good cabinet maker, but I don't really know a lot about business. So you're discussing your current state. So now you can quickly see that you have now somewhat created a gap analysis. Here's where you're at. Here's where you're going. Yes. Step four then becomes to develop and determine the options. And so you go through this process of saying, okay, I know where I'm going. Essentially, I know where I'm at. Now let me, let me think through the options. What, do I, what options are in front of me that will help me get from where I am to where I'm going? And then, of course, the final step is to develop a simple, actionable plan. And then you carry it out. You take action. That's essentially what I'm going to talk to you about at the convention. But that's the basic fundamental process to making a good transition, change and transition. Yeah, that's wonderful, Kevin. I can just see all the light bulbs starting to pop <laughs> as you start to explain your your techniques. You know, at the the conference, I think it's just going to be a really wonderful thing to get the the juices flowing, as they say, with with a lot of us, because you know they're. There are ongoing transitions, even though we're in the business we love doing, there are uh, opportunities come along and uh, we go a different, slightly different direction. You're so right about it. I mean, just think about, you know, you might have a thriving business and then suddenly COVID hits. Right. Okay. So COVID hits now what? That's a massive change and transition. Okay. So COVID hits. Now you're trying to figure out the, the new plan and then COVID starts to go away and now things have changed. And so suddenly I would imagine, you know, that the cabinet industry may have gone through the roof in terms of uh, the, the, the business coming in. You know, I, I admit maybe not, I don't know as much smaller shops or what, but I know for larger construction companies, you know, suddenly they couldn't handle the amount of work that was coming in. And guess what? Couldn't find the people to get in their work. What a massive transition that people have to deal with. So you're exactly right that you can count on change and transition to be perpetual. It's not something that you start here, get here, and you're done. You know that. It's just not that way. Yeah, it keeps life very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. You know, 
talking casually here with one another. I'm really looking forward to to hearing your presentation. I think at Thank this you. point, maybe we should should wrap up for now, but I, I really enjoyed meeting you. I think you're a wonderfully genuine person that will fit in perfectly in our group of people that want to help one another. You'll be really well accepted. I'm looking forward to it. I say sincerely, you know, I don't work with sort of these organizations, these people that much in speaking. And I grew up with a father, by the way, a Scottish dad. I think I've detected more of an Irish. Yeah, Irish. Okay. But, but in any event, you know, he was a hands-on kind of guy. And I, and I know what it's like. I watched him growing up using his hands to do things. And so I'm genuinely looking forward to this conversation and interacting with some so just good people on the ground that are out there doing hard work. Yeah. Well, awesome, Kevin. Looking forward to seeing you in a, mm. in a, in a few short weeks, basically, right? Yes, it is. That's right. Years. That's right. It's a and, pleasure. You did a great job, Brian. Thank you so much. Oh, you did too, Kevin. That was that was excellent. Great to get to know you. Likewise. Look forward to seeing you. And thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Pro Cabinet Maker. Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact the woodworking industry. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you'd like more information about the Cabinet Makers Association, be sure to join us online at cabinetmakers.org. See you next time.